And sometimes we see in areas of our lives that, you know, we're not living our life as intentionally that shows that we actually believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it actually applies to me and it applies to you. So in how I'm treating myself and how I'm treating others is not a reflection of what I proclaim in calling myself a believer. I made sure I didn't say Christian there because we, we see how that goes sometimes lately. But like as a believer, as an imager of Christ, as Pastor Robert often says. But now I choose to tune into the reality and I choose to be decided to follow Jesus. And so in this word that I want to bring today is my invitation for all of you to also choose to be decided in every area, every area. There is not one room in your house that God did not design. And if we just celebrated Christmas and we look at how we, we sing hallelujah because the light has come, then, then maybe we need to stop closing doors. Maybe we need to stop putting the blinds down in our house because he's put these windows here to let the light come in. So, um, what Christ has accomplished has actually affected my every day and my every breath. That's the truth. It's the reality. You can't change that. You can't. That's always active. These are truths. And so part of being decided is the scripture says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And honestly, some of the possibly more trivial thoughts that have kind of brought me into this is, you know, my health and my body. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to exercise. I will. I say yes, but I'm living out a no because I don't actually make it to the gym or make it to my basement. Because I let distractions come in. And usually when you have a yes, you know what your no is. That makes sense, right? And if you know what your no is, you're going to know what your yeses are. You can't be yes and no about something. It either it is or it isn't. And so that's, I mean, that's a trivial thing, but I, I think that is at least an example, a living example that maybe we can, or eating healthier, or, you know, I don't know, you, you name it, it's just whatever. I choose to do this because I have this temple that I want to maintain because I'm living in it for the duration of my time on the earth. So if I actually want to accomplish the things that God wants to do in my life, maybe I should clean house and learn how to keep it tidy and whatever that the lady from Netflix, Marie Kondo or whatever, how, you know, 
oh, this doesn't make me happy. This doesn't bring me joy. So, you know, she changes it so she can feel joyous because it's now spacious, it's clean, it's tidy. We need to be doing the same thing about our house. So that's my kind of conviction. One of the things that brought me into, wow, it, it, it just, it's so funny how that trail took me down to this idea of, well, if I'm not really intentional in taking care of my body, at all, then how could I let the gospel of Christ be seen through how I live my life? Because I'm, I'm choosing laziness. I could, I could name it and make an excuse of it for a million ways that are reasonable. And then I think in, in this society would be like, oh yeah, treat yourself, self-care. And it's like, self-care is important, but not if you're neglecting responsibilities that you've agreed to. So anyway. So the reality is, is that discipline and consistency and prosperity and maturity are my portion. Yeah. Right? And that's just because of the, the, the gospel. It's all my portion because of what Christ did. But if I'm not living my life to actually align with that truth, what am I doing? I'm not decided. I said, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. But like I'm living my life not even agreeing with discipline and consistency and prosperity and maturity. I can't, I, I say this, I feel like every time I'm up here, but I can't afford to do that. I have this one life, and I want to live it intentionally for Christ. So let's be decided. So one of the big things in being decided is this idea that God is my sufficiency. He just, that's, that's it. And there's three areas that I want to go into on that is, one, I'm responsible because he responded. Like, he did everything. I have a piece of the puzzle. I get to co-labor with God. So I have a part in this. Because I said, yes, Jesus. He does the heavy work, and we're going to get into that. I am able because he is. And I am enough because he is more than enough. These three things all under this big truth that God is my sufficiency. I want us all just to say that and speak that over ourselves right now. On a count of three, God is my sufficiency. One, two, three. God is my sufficiency. And the thing about sufficiency, when I, when I, because I, sufficiency is something I've been thinking a lot about since I want to say about 2014. And, as I did a study into like the definition and what when where sufficiency comes up in, in the Bible and stuff, I find that sufficiency and enough are not the same thing. We think it is, but at least from what I'm seeing, sufficiency is more than enough. So. 
God's not just enough, guys. Jesus, Jesus isn't just enough for you. He's sufficient. He's more than enough in what you feel you're lacking. He's got it. So we, you know, have to learn the process of trusting, and that's going to take intimacy. It's going to take everything that Lisa talked about a couple months ago. So go ahead and open up your Bibles or Bible apps to 2 Corinthians 3. I started using this like sermon maker thing um, because the notes on my phone, I'm too complicated in my thinking. And it's as like particular as I am about things. Well, maybe this is does display how particular I am. But I like can't think straight with just the notes on my phone if I'm actually going to give a message. So I'm trying this new thing. I'm hoping I can follow myself, which in turn, I hope you can follow what I'm saying. Anyway, um, so we're going to start with chapter 3, verse 2. So I believe I am in the ESV version. 2 Corinthians. So it says, For your very lives are the letters of recommendation permanently engraved on our hearts, recognized and read by everybody. As a result of our ministry, you are living letters written by Christ, not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not carved onto stone tablets, but on the tablets of tender hearts. And so I, I, I like to take little pieces and just think, kind of personify, like make, make that into something. Like what does that actually look like if I am a living letter, as it says right there in verse 3, written by Christ. Have I written over the letter? Am I allowing the letter of Christ that I, as Amanda, am? Am I letting that letter be read by the people around me? Am I even, when I look in the mirror, reading the letter of Christ? just a thought. So how am I conducting myself? How, I mean, I can live in freedom because of Christ. I can make my own choices, but is how I conduct myself in my response to bad events, in my, in my response to good events, or in my response to, to, to people and, and whatever it is, is how I conduct myself and how I think, and how I speak, and how I respond, a reflection of the gospel in action, if I am a living, breathing letter written by Christ, as it says in verse 3, is how I love the one in front of me out of the belief of how Christ loves that person? Though I have a responsibility to face issues and certainty and pain and can do that in a very raw and personal way, am I also responding like I believe God did what he did and is doing stuff that I don't even know about on my behalf because he has this bigger picture that I get to play the role in? Like I believe that I actually have access to Holy Spirit. Day in, day out. 
because that's a hard one. That's, that's why I need Sozo. <laughs> Sozo reminds me, oh, hey, you actually have access to me anytime, anytime. Oh, thank you. Or like I believe that Jesus actually set me free from the bondage of sin and shame. Verse 4. We carry this confidence in our hearts because of our union with Christ before God. Yet we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength, for our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. So again, do I believe that I have access to God? Verse 7, even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory, though it produced death. And, and in that context of death, it just meant it was fading away. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. Verse 8, yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us? For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? Sorry, I keep losing my breath like I do because I get really excited and I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm really not. So then my brain's overthinking it and my spirit's like, girl, chill. <sighs> I drank all my Gatorade. Can someone get me water? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. By thank you, I mean thank you. Okay. Verse 10. What once was glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that it that has replaced it. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. We are not like Moses, who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. For 14... <coughs> Their minds were closed and hardened, for even to this day that same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined with Messiah. I'll come back to that later. just want to say this again. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined with the Messiah. We'll come back to that in a different translation. So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Verse 17, now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he, wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. Let's keep going. <laughs> this is all so good. One thing I just love lately that you're, that you're probably noticing is that I'm so hungry that most of my sermon is honestly just the New Testament. 
It's just, it's just, it's just scripture. It's just there. You can't change it. I mean, it's just right there. It's plain sight. The word's right there. And all the good news is there. I just am like adding thoughts, if anything. Okay? Just throwing that out there. Verse 16. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. Wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. 18. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the Lord, the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from, from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Selah. weird to drink water in front of people when people are staring at you. I'll go on. Okay. Um, now I want us to switch on. It's going to take us right into chapter four. Um, and if you don't know, I feel like most of us in this house know, but initially when these words were written, there weren't chapters, there weren't verses. It was literally a letter. So we're going to read it that way. Going on, so the last, last sentence here was, and this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, verse 1, chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by, by the mercy, compassion of God, we do not lose heart. I spelled heart wrong. That's okay. <laughs> but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Who? Because we are those letters. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And that takes some integrity. Hashtag real talk. That's what Teen said like seven years ago that I can't keep up with their verbiage. So um, here's, here's the big thing. The center of true Christian doctrine is just Christ. Christ. We preach Christ. And in preaching Christ, we preach all that we need to preach. And this is why we lean on Christ alone. As we know, you know, the, all the songs, in Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone. Not Christ and coffee, even though some mornings it helps. <laughs> For the record. I like, I like my coffee dark with nothing else, just straight. Um, we do not preach of ourselves, but of him. He does all the dirty work because he's already accomplished it. Our position as followers and believers is actually to administer his truth. He does the work in the body. We administer it. He does the rest. So it's funny because how, how the word administer comes up in a couple of translations 
I was like, administer? When I think of administer, I would think like of a nurse administering medicine. And then the medicine does its work in the body. Just a thought. Eh, it works. Sure, sure. Practically speaking, in order to preach Christ with our life is to live our lives as his ministry. On to verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I need to find a new translation because that's a lot of of and the, but that's okay. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That made sense. Yeah. So if we're letters of Christ to those around us, revealing more of him, we do not live our lives to exalt ourselves, but him alone. So as we grow closer and nearer to him and accept his truth more and more, this is just super practical. He is the one thing. He is the one doing the work in, those, in the lives of those around us. We are, again, constantly the letter. Hi, my name is Amanda. That's me. Here's a letter for you from Jesus. My introduction to someone is the letter. And then as I interact, they get to read the letter of Jesus. From Jesus to them. I'm keeping you forever and for always. Thank you, Shania Twain. I never thought we would sing Shania Twain as worship. And it's happened. This is, this is a glorious day in the Lord. It's so funny, guys. So when I was putting my computer on the charger and first got here, Mike's like, so we're going to be singing some country today, which I was like, Mike and country? What? And then, and then he's like, can you guess? And I was like, no. And I'm like, look, I'm from Sussex County, but I really don't listen to country music. I'm a classic rock gal. I'm just saying. And, and Mike goes, it's some Shania Twain. And I'm even more confused because my first thought is, let's go, girls. And I knew that was wrong. <laughs> Um, so I'm just being completely honest with you. And then I'm like, okay, okay, let's think Jesus. So I'm like trying to do my little duties this morning, and that's all that's on my mind. I'm like, what Shania Twain song would we be singing? And I'm like, it's not going to be that. Don't impress me much. Because um, <laughs> Jesus is more than impressive, let's face it. So and I was like, oh, well, there's that romancy song. And I was not thinking of the right one, but I think it could be used too. It's, it's not this one. Uh, still the one. That was the one. And I'm like, I mean, that could work too, but no, no. So when that one popped up, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And I was in it. I was in it. Anyway, I only know like four songs by her for the record, but I, I'm like, yeah, Shania Twain. I don't listen to anything new. It's just those four songs from like 95 to like 2005. And that's my extent of country music also, that kind of time range. That's about it. Huh? I got you, girl. Um, so stop it. I know. No, look, look, James, because you did it that day, and Mike, okay, okay, I won't do that to you, and your perfect little ears. 
So anyway, and looking at all of what we've discussed so far, I was thinking about what our ministry looks like. So I actually went into what ministry, you know, what does ministry mean? Because like, we, I, I think at natural thought, especially in other church cultures I've experienced, ministry is it's hard work, and it's, 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 it's something. It's messy, and it's all true, but when I went into at least ministry out of the meaning and the context of what we're reading in 2 Corinthians, ministry has come out to these kind of definitions, and one is waiting at the table. And I also wanted to include, I think, in, in the table concept, and especially what we do a lot here at the house, is waiting is also inviting others to the table, throwing that out there, in a wider sense, service, uh, ministration, um, it's from the word diakonos, which I probably said it wrong, that's okay, but that means to attend, it's attendance, figuratively to aid and to service. My life and your life, whether you are a leader or whatever in the church, it doesn't matter. You said yes to Jesus, your life is ministry. It might look different than Pastor Robert. It might look different than any of us on the transition team or anyone in charge of the men's group, the, the women's group, youth group. It, it might look a little different, but your life is just as much ministry as those with a title. Um, so another definition is to obtain and be governed by the Holy Spirit. So this is more of the service that ministry does. To obtain and be governed by the Holy Spirit, like in 2 Corinthians 3.8 that we went over, um, and teaching others how they may become righteous to God. And then the third, to embrace the offered reconciliation with God. So these are the services and ministry that we're bringing to those around us. That's part of the letter that we are. We're inviting them to have the opportunity to be governed by the Holy Spirit, to become righteous with God, and to accept the reconciliation with God that Christ already accomplished. We're just like, hey, here's the good news. <clears throat> Um, and then just that thought again of administering, um, when you look at the word administer, it's to be responsible for the running of the business or organization. So I thought about that, you know, that Christian cliche kind of thing of like, I'm about my father's business. <laughs> and so I will go administer my father's business to those around us or dispense or apply like a remedy or a drug. You're dispensing it, you're applying it. I'm gonna apply it to my own life and I'm going to apply it to the lives of those by loving them. So if I'm decided I'm gonna do these things and I'm gonna do them because I believe and sometimes when we're a little weaker, I do because I need to believe. 
So sometimes I think, Holy Spirit, I've had situations where the Lord says, do this, the belief will come. That is something that um, I have experience with. And wouldn't you know, God was right. Imagine. God being right, what? Um, so yes, we, administ- we minister by our life, which is also a form of discipleship. So go ahead and flip to, <laughs> funny how this happened, but Philippians 4. Did not intend that. Flip to Philippians. Yes, Philippians 4. And so now I want to talk about how we are able in him alone. We are able because he is. And we're going to start with um, verse 4, right? Glad I made that note because this is going to be in the Amplified Version. Sorry, sometimes I make unnecessary noises. Philippians, should have brought my glasses. And no, I will not borrow anyone's glasses because I just have astigmatism. I don't, I will see far worse if I borrowed yours. <laughs> All right. So um, Philippians 4, verse 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight, take pleasure in him. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit, your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance, and patience be known to all people. The Lord is near. Right there. Verse 5 is another little glimpse of what your letter is about. Just a thought. Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. And the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. Verse 8. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is any, anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in daily life. And the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you. This is a nice little thing. I I wanted to make sure I added this piece um, because if you go into Philippians 3, Paul is actually talking about all the craziness he's went through. All of it. Cray. It's a lot. It's a lot that he's went through. And, and, and I think a lot of, uh, I didn't, just because of time, I didn't want to read all of Philippians 3, but just kind of to sum it up, he does talk extensively about all that he's went through. 
for God and just life and, and all the things he's had to face, which brings us through, the, through that first portion of chapter 4 and goes into, chap- into the next piece that I want to talk about starting at verse 10. But, but that verse 4 through 9 I think is important to keep in mind in the context of all that he's gone through. That he can still say, do this, and then where is it? In verse 9. In 9, he's basically saying, and the fact that I was able to still do these things, copy these things, because of what I've navigated and I could still do it, you can do it too. So copy that when you, when you face things, when you face trouble. Keep your mind up here. Keep, keep your thoughts in this place. So anyway, as we go into verse 10, um, I'm, I don't think I'm, yes I am. No, I'm not, yes I am. Oh, okay, I see what I did wrong, missed a word. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, and now at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned about me before, but you had no opportunity to show it. Not that I speak from any personal need. I got to read this first. I have too many typos. Not that I speak from any personal need, for I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of my circumstances. Shoo. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need. I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. How incredible. So let's face it. When we look at Philippians 4.13, we always hear that. Well, I can do anything in Christ who strengthens me. I can do it. But it's like, are you aware of what you're saying? Because I think oftentimes that verse in particular is very much taken out of context in such a way that when we use that verse, when God doesn't show up the way we're expecting him to, we point the finger at him. Well, you were supposed to strengthen me. That's what your word says. I'm declaring it. But like... It's, it's, huh? It takes practice. Yeah. It's not just this thing of, I distinctly remember I wanted to use that verse when I was a teenager. I was like, yeah, everyone else, okay, I get it. I know how to use that verse. I am at a cross-country meet in Dover. You already know where I'm going with this. I was, I was not fast, probably even slower now. But I was running this race, and it was a new 
place because the actual like Dover High School location was changing and so we had to switch to this other place. I don't know where it is. I would never be able to find it. It was just, you're at like these buildings and then you're in a field and then there's mud <laughs> and you're in these sheds. It was sketch. But I remember I was like, all right, I have like a mile left, I think. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. And I didn't finish the race. Um, <laughs> he didn't want to strengthen me for that, I guess. Maybe because, like Dawn said, well, I, I didn't practice very well. So, but it, it's funny because of the context. You can, I, I can't articulate what I'm trying to say, but I feel like with context clues, you guys might be riding with me. Um, but we just, we use it as like this buffer. And then when it doesn't go the way we think, oh God, how could you? You didn't partner with me in that. Oh my gosh. And it's like, well, you wanted to do it. You should have been prepared. I know, right? Yeah, no, it definitely didn't pray leading up to that race, but that's fine. Whatevs. And that was my problem. I didn't do all that great. <laughs> um, I, tis but a child, a wee child. I only knew the Lord for like a year at that time. Okay, there's grace. So, you know, I don't want to discount the power that it's helped you when it did go the way you had hoped. Um, but the context isn't exactly to be just an affirmation. And so looking at the context which Paul was sharing, let's, let's look at it this way. So verse 12 and verse 13 together, when you piece them together, what Paul's saying is, one, he was able to accommodate himself in an afflicted or humbled condition. So he was able to learn a couple of things. How to humble yourself. That's uh, a hard one. How to be hungry. How to suffer want and yet not be overcome by the temptation of the hunger. Or want um, anything where you're going to lose your comfort in God or distrust his providence. He was able to learn this through the trials he went through. And that's why he's speaking to the Corinthians about it. So one, he was able to accommodate himself to an afflicted and humbled position. He was able to kind of bring himself lower than he felt he probably should have been. Okay? Two is kind of the other way. To accommodate yourself to a prosperous condition. How to be full. How to abound. How to not be proud or self-righteous. That blew my mind when I was studying. I, I never thought of it that way. I can do all things through Christ. So both are just as difficult to learn as the other. As I'm sure any trial that we face, it's like, you know, I always crack this joke, but like, Lord, bring me patience. And then when he brings patience, you're like, whoa. No, it's not like that, please. Um, but the temptations of fullness and prosperity are no less than those of humility and want. 
And we experience that day in, day out, all the temptations of those are, t- are, are just so present in our face. And in our culture here in America, especially, the God of this world that uh, I think it was chapter three in Second uh, Corinthians was talking about, it's blinding us with the temptations constantly. So we learn to accommodate ourselves to a humble condition and a prosperous condition by way of verse 13. That's, that's the how. Christ is sufficient in all areas of life. He's more than enough for me. And because he is sufficient, not only is he enough, he's more than enough. He is the one, if Christ is, is my strength, he's the one whose strength I'm leaning on to humble myself. Or I think in, in, in when I, I think especially in my earlier 20s, I was in this weird in-between because my whole life I felt so low and how people would see me lowly. And so as I was learning Christ and learning relationship with him, I had to rely on my intimacy and strength in him to actually prosper myself and get myself into a proper uh, posture and position. And some people, it's the exact opposite. I've actually experienced both sides of my life. Because I have places in my life that I'm like, hold your horses. You need to sit down. You need to humble yourself. You're not that great. And then when I try doing it in my strength, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're not that great. Chill. Um. But I've learned that enough, like I said earlier, does not equate to his sufficiency. He is more than enough. We get our strength from Christ in order for us to not only live out his ministry, living the Christian life, but also the fruits of the Spirit. Especially when we look at goodness, righteousness, and truth, um, I think in some um, denominations, they view it as the moral virtue, fruit of the moral virtue. But we need Christ's strength to teach us to be content in every condition, in every circumstance. We often say every circumstance, but I feel like there's something on that condition word. Because we're like, oh, he'll, if only he'll get me through this circumstance. Oh, he got me through this. But sometimes we carry the same condition through every circumstance. Dude, this study was like, girl, convicted. Anyway. So it's also funny when you read verse 12 and verse 13, because in verse 12, it looks like Paul's actually beginning to boast in himself. But then he begins to turn it all around and put the the praise toward Christ. So actually, if you read uh, verse 12 and 13 in the Passion Translation, he says... I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a little, little toot in there, but I'm just saying. But it, it's to bring to light what I'm trying to say here. I know what it means to lack, and I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. For I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power is the thing that infuses me to conquer every difficulty. So see how he he just flipped it? 
all praise and glory and honor is his, not mine, because it's his strength, not mine. I am self-sufficient only in Christ's sufficiency. What a relief. Um, and then the third part um, is about him being enough. I really want to zero in on his graciousness, how gracious he is. Um, so, of course, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And put it on here. Tap the wrong thing. So, um, I, if I can be completely transparent and vulnerable with you, I, I, and you probably know this about me already, I don't know, but I often find myself in pride, um, and like whenever you acknowledge your growth, it's, it's easy to get prideful and boast in what you've done and what you've went through. And sometimes it's, it's easy to forget. And so I, you know, <coughs> Paul begins to talk about that again in um, actually chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Um, and so it's crazy to me because he had so much more to boast of and the temptation's right there. And then going into chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. He says, Because of the surpassing greatness and extraordinary nature of the revelations which I received from God, for this reason, to keep me from thinking of myself as important, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to torment and harass me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. Verse 9, but he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always available, regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, this is Paul speaking again, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. And I thought about this word enfold. And when I, I looked into it, Joe, can you come here for a second? Just for a second. I'm not going to like put pie in your face because I don't have a pie, obviously. So to unfold is literally, I have it on here somewhere, um, to surround, to envelop, to hold, or to clasp. So what I want you to do is I want you to come grab and embrace me from behind. You need to do this more. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, you're choking me. Maybe not there. Maybe me like my stomach. <laughs> okay. So he's enfolding me. He's, he's coming from around. And this is like the reality of it. So that verse says, 
Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. This is the power of Christ enfolding me and dwelling in me as everyone takes cute pictures. This is our Titanic pose. Yeah. All right, thanks for enfolding me. Um, I thought you'd like that, so I threw that in there for you. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to kind of give that glimpse because I love when little words pop up because sometimes you have to zoom into what that word is saying to actually get the picture. Because you, you know, if you're like in full, like, oh, yeah, like an envelope, like you envelope without the extra E. No, that's not. what it's, it's literally to wrap around, to grab, to clasp, to hold, to embrace. Huh? Like a burrito. Oh, I should have got one of those burrito blankets. Maybe after church. <laughs> he loves me like a burrito. <laughs> Verse 10. <laughs> so I am well pleased with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, random Arizona number. For the sake of Christ, for when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, and truly drawing from God's strength. So to be honest, um, as a person, when I'm tempted to boast in my strengths, uh, I very quickly come to regret that, just as I mess things up a lot, because I'm like, I'm going to do it this way. And God's like, don't do that. And I'm like, but it seems so reasonable. It's not. So when I give myself credit over giving Christ in me the credit, I'm sinning because I'm looking away from his face, and instead I'm looking into the mirror of myself. You with me? You with me? So let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah. Actually, we're going a little past that, but it's fine. Uh, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became Amanda, just kidding, when I became an adult, this is a man, so I had to throw the joke in there. Amanda, um, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I think I'm in the ESV. <laughs> so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so there's this thought I was having that really just circled me right back to 2 Corinthians 13 again, where it was talking about Moses and the Old Testament and when it's red and there's a veil on our face, on, you know, on the face. But then it goes back to when even just one person comes to the Lord, the veil is removed. And when I come to the Lord, 
I'm deciding on him. The veil's gone. It's just Jesus. And so for all of this, I I choose to be decided. And to decide is to come to a resolution in mind as a result of consideration or to make a choice from a number of alternatives. And you know these alternatives are running around rampant in our lives. The alternatives are also like self-righteousness and and darkness, in some ways insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, selfishness, loneliness, just to name a few. Christ is my grace. Christ is my sufficiency. Christ is my ministry. Christ is my light. Christ is my strength. Christ is my choice. Christ is my life. Is he yours? Back to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Verse 12. For since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that veil, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And just real quickly, you don't have to switch to your Bible here. It's just two quick verses, but Hebrews 9, 13. For if the sprinkling of ceremonial defied persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a burnt heifer is sufficient for the cleansing of the body. For if the sprinkling, I wrote that twice. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Holy Spirit willingly offered himself unblemished, that is without moral and spiritual imperfection as a sacrifice to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works and lifeless observances to serve the ever-living God. Just a thought. So let me just pray Ephesians 3 over you because I feel like this prayer sums it all up. Just be ready to receive. Like, ah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through his spirit in your inner self, indwelling your innermost being and personality, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all of God's people the width and length and height and depth of his love, fully experiencing that amazing, endless love. And that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. That you may be filled up throughout your being to the fullness of God, so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, and dreams, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church, in the house, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. Amen. I'm done. I'm just kidding. D-O-N-E as well. Awesome. <laughs> well, like I said, if, uh, if you didn't give towards the offering, you know, towards the funeral, you could feel free to do, uh, do that now as well. Uh, but I don't have anything to say. She pretty much crushed it. Uh, so go and be blessed. Oh, wait, we got one thing. I just have... Yeah, one thing to say. I don't know if any of you watched football Monday night, what happened. But a guy, they just about lost him. It wasn't a bad hit. And just a community of everybody praying. He's doing better. He's talking. He's still in critical condition. They're hoping he'll move. But yesterday before the Jacksonville and the Tennessee um, <clears throat> game, both teams went to the center of the field, knelt down, and prayed, and they showed it. There was an analyst on ESPN that prayed a prayer that I don't think, unless this had happened, it would ever been aired. And yesterday, during the whole thing, they showed the guys praying at the end of the game. I think it was the Kansas City Chiefs game. When I've gone to a game, even at UAD, you would see these guys run out of the, you know, when they run out, to be introduced, there'd be a handful run down to the end zone and pray before the game. They don't show that. They don't show the things that I think are important. <laughs> but just the prayers of people standing up saying they're praying, it's just amazing. And, I, you know, we talk about a revival. I think a revival's happening in the NFL. <laughs> Amen. Glory. All right, now you guys can go be blessed. Have a good Sunday.